Today's teaching text comes from Philippians 2, 5 through 11. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, and that at that name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, good morning. It is, it's good to be with you uh, today. Our, our family has great affection for uh, Cornerstone Church, and uh, we count many of you uh, as our, our inner circle. Cindy's over here. Give it away there. Um, many of you know Cindy, and uh, our, our kids are here. Our grandkids are here, and uh, what, a, what a delight to be uh, with you this morning. So I, I, I love the whole Philippians text. The four chapters of Philippians are just beautiful words that Paul uses. I think that there are three great New Testament introductions to Jesus. I think the first of those is found in uh, the very beginning of the Gospel of John. I think the first few verses, 18 verses of the Gospel of John are among the most beautiful in all of Scripture. Here's how John begins his introduction to Jesus. And the first 18 verses of the Gospel of John are a preface to John's Gospel. He wants you to worship at the beginning before he starts storytelling at the end of the chapter. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that's been made. In him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness. The darkness has not overcome it. In John's introduction to Jesus, he instructs us to acknowledge Jesus as Messiah. In fact, when you read the very beginning of John chapter 1, we're taken back to the very beginning of the book of Genesis. In the beginning, God created heavens and the earth. It's that same flow that we have in the gospel of John that he wants. But this time we're told that even before there was the heavens and the earth, before there was the heavens and the earth, there was the Word. And the Word was with God. The Word was God. I think the second great introduction uh, to Jesus is found in the book of Colossians, another uh, of Paul's writings in the first chapter, where Paul's declaring to those believers unapologetically and unmistakably that the deity of Jesus. We're going to get that again in our text in Philippians. Here's these beautiful words from Colossians. The Son is the image of the invisible God the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things on heaven and earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things. And in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from among the dead. So that in everything... He might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him 
and through him to reconcile all things to himself, whether things on earth, things in heaven, making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Paul's stunningly beautiful proclamation of Jesus instructs us to worship Jesus as God. And I think the Philippians, this Philippians text that we just read, is a third great New Testament introduction to Jesus, this time urging us as followers of Jesus to become just like him in humility. And so while John's interjection to Jesus calls us to acknowledge Jesus as Messiah, Paul to the Colossians calls us to worship Jesus as God, Paul's introduction to Jesus in Philippians calls us to follow the pattern of Jesus in the humble servant that he was. So then let's look through these verses again. Maybe you have your Bible with you. If, if not, if follow along, there'll be some things on the screen. Last Sunday, Nina discussed the rhetorical ifs at the beginning, really, of uh, chapter 2. If, well, of course, we're encouraged to be united to Christ. If, and of course, we're comforted by His love. If, and of course, we're tender and compassionate with one another. Then in your life and fellowship with one another, says, says Paul, be like-minded. And Paul's foremost instruction to the Philippians here is found in verse 3 that Nina spoke of last week. But in humility, count others, this is weird, count others as more significant than yourselves. Friends, I would suggest that a mutual humility with one another is to be a driving characteristic in our life together as we follow Jesus together. And with Paul's foremost instruction of this text, he also gives the best example that we're to follow in humility. It's Jesus himself, the eternal word through whom all things were made, the source and the giver of your life, the firstborn over all of creation, the one who is himself creator, he is the origin of creation, of creation, and he's the object of creation. He's the head of the church, the one who has supremacy over everything, and still, he's the one who shows us the perfect model for humility. And so Paul instructs us, verse 5, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. I think an early, earlier translation, 1980s of the NIV, is a, it calls it this an attitude. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. But I think it's the newer version, the early 2000 versions of really just the last few years of the NIV. I think it hits it spot on when it's in, in translated, have the same mind as Christ Jesus. Have the same mind set is what it says of Christ Jesus, which means humility should be an act of your will. It's something you do on purpose. Paul's saying be of the same conviction of Jesus with a deep determination to be this way and to act this way. And we're going to find through the rest of this Philippians letter throughout the summer that having ourselves put on this mindset of Christ is going to have a direct impact on our actions, on our behavior, on our conduct, on the way we live every day. Because you see, for Paul, being a follower of Jesus is not only about right belief, about right thinking, about faith alone. For Paul, right thinking leads to right action. Because in Christianese words, we would say Christians, orthodoxy 
must lead to orthopraxy. Right believing must lead to right behavior. Faith and practice always go hand in hand. In fact, later in the New Testament, James is going to tell us that faith without action is really no faith at all. So Paul says, have this mind among yourselves, which is in Christ Jesus. He was in the form God. In the language Paul uses here, he's using the clearest language that he can in the context to say that Jesus was God. Jesus wasn't an image of God. He wasn't a reflection. He wasn't a phantom or a step down or a substitute. By his very nature, Jesus was by nature God. What sets men and women apart from the rest of all of creation is that we, humanity, bear the image of God. As image bearers, we have resemblance to the nature and character of God. We're representative figures of God among all the rest of creation. That God created us to be cast alongside the rest of creation. But we're certainly not God. Jesus is altogether different. Jesus was by his very nature God. Jesus, in his essence, God. And yet Paul goes on with this. He says, though he was in the form of God, he didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. You got to check this out because this is awesome. Just as Jesus was in nature God, Jesus also took on the form, the very nature, a servant. The very nature God, the very nature of a servant. And just as God in Genesis 1 created man in his own image, now Jesus chooses to take on the very image of humanity. Without surrendering any of his identity, he didn't alter any of his character. Yet God, the eternal Son of the Trinity, stepped down off of His throne and into our lives. I love what Minnesota pastor Greg Boyd wrote in his book, Is God to Blame? He said, He took our nature, lived our life, endured our temptations, experienced our sorrows, felt our hurts, bore our sin, died our death. He penetrated deeply into our humanness. Yet he didn't surrender any, in any way, alter his own identity. For in becoming one of us, he yet remained himself. He became human without ceasing to be God. Friends, you've got to understand that the jump from God to man is an immensely massive jump. The gap more massive than ourselves and the most minuscule cells of the tiniest of ants. How enormous the gap between the deity of God and the bane of humanity. And Jesus willingly stepped right into that chasm on purpose, voluntarily. He said, I'll do it. And so being born in the likeness of man, in a cattle trough, on the outskirts of the city of Bethlehem, and ending on a disgusting cross outside the city walls of Jerusalem, God found appearance as one of us. Paul writes, he humbled himself. Jesus 
humbled himself. God the Son aligned. He said, I'll do it with the plan of the Father so that God the Father, Son, and Spirit could bring this plan of redemption to all of humanity who had gone awry in our own arrogance and by our own choices. God came to us not to fulfill the threats of you wait till your father gets home, sending us hiding in isolation and fear of God. Paul said he humbled himself. God, through Jesus, walked with us. Even in our dying, even more, he died a wicked, horrible death that has somehow been declared to be for us and caused a restoration that was broken what we ourselves have caused. Now, what is Paul instructing? He's instructing your attitude, your mindset in life should be the same as that of Jesus Christ. Um, unless, like, unlike me, you're an admirer of historical portrait, you probably haven't heard of William Ernest Henley. But you have heard some of the lines of his famous 1888 work called Invictus, which certainly describes the arrogance that even that we have of ourselves in our modern times. He says, Out of the night that covers me black as the pit from pole to pole, I thank whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged the punishments, the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. Friends, we see even through this work of poetry, our natural humanity defaults at putting ourselves at the center of existence. We've made ourselves the star of this dramatic production called life. And everybody else around me is my supporting cast. We're all vying for the star role, aren't we? And everyone else is way too much in my way, taking away what is rightfully mine in this drama. I deserve, the, con the current generation, the current uh, culture says, I deserve for you to like me. In fact, I deserve for you to adore me. And it's your obligation to get the heck out of my way so that my goals will be realized for my life to be happy and fulfilled and complete by your absolute endorsement of me. It's the way our culture's thinking nowadays. Maybe you saw this on social media a few years ago. I get a charge out of these. Top complaints of international travelers to their tour operators when they got home from their trip. One said, on my holiday to Goa, India, I was disgusted to find that almost every restaurant served curry. I hate spicy food. Another reported after going to a, Mexi Mexi a Mexican resort. There are way too many Spanish people there. The receptionist spoke Spanish. The food was Spanish. No one told me there were going to be so many foreigners. After being in Jamaica, one British couple wrote their operator. It took us nine hours to fly home from Jamaica to England. It only took the Americans three hours, and that doesn't seem fair. This one from a couple that went on a day, a day excursion from their cruise ship. We booked an excursion to a water park, but no one told us we had to bring our own swimsuits and towels. And this, one's, this one's my favorite. My fiancé my fiance and I requested twin beds when we booked this trip, but instead we were placed in a room with one king bed. We now hold you responsible and want you to reimburse us for the fact that I'm now pregnant. 
This would not have happened if you had put us in the room we requested. So much for the master of my own fate, the, the captain of my own soul. Friends, to put ourselves at the center of existence, even our own existence, is just silly, foolish narcissism. The narrative of the Bible, our scriptures, remind us that there is one Lord, one God, and Father of us all, who is over all and in all and through all. And we are not that one. As the created, we're to find our joy and contentment in living under the rule of the one who created us, rather than attempting to step onto his throne ourselves. In fact, friends, we're, we're at our very best of humanity when we follow Jesus together, having the same mindset, having the same attitude as Jesus, who didn't find equality with God something to grasp after. And so the primary instruction in Philippians chapter 2 stands as Nina brought it to us last Sunday. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility Consider others better than yourselves. Friends, humility isn't a prized character in our culture really anymore, is it? Because humility is focused on the care and the concern for other people. Lifting up and bringing out the best in others, not so much demanding the spotlight for ourselves. Humility gives credit to the other people on our team, especially if you are the leader of the team. Humility means that you're willing to get yourself dirty, your hands, your feet, your face, everything about you so that others will be well. Humility isn't looking for personal credit. Humility is looking for the well-being of others in our tribe and in our sphere of influence. Humility doesn't buy the narrative that says you've got to look out yourself first because nobody else is looking out for you. Humility rejects the arrogance that you're better than others, so you best get out and get in front of others so to be seen. And the ego that demands, my needs come first. You get in line behind me. Again, take a look at Jesus, who being in the very nature, God, he relinquished any self-serving claims of God in becoming human. And throughout his human life, Jesus was focused on others, including you, so that humanity could be restored from our brokenness, both in our relationship with God and our relationship with others. Jesus' attention was constantly on those in need rather than those who pushed themselves to the front of the line or into the limelight. So I just ask you, is, is that the example that you're following as you live your life? And I want you to notice that Paul told the Philippians that Jesus humbled himself. By actions of his own will, Jesus became humble, available to the plan of the Father for the sake of others. Friends, if you believe humility is a character trait that reflects the very character of Jesus, humility is required by your choice by the actions you choose to take. Paul teaches that Jesus humbled himself. And so you and I should also choose to have that same mindset, humbling ourselves. In fact, later in the New Testament, Peter instructs his disciples, 
humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Now listen, humility is not the same thing as self-loathing. And humility is not equal to low self-esteem. In fact, on the church staff where I serve, one of the key, the three key values that we hold as a staff is confident humility. Humility doesn't come out of a mentality of scarcity. Humility comes from a perspective of abundance. Because I know who I am in Jesus Christ. And because I have everything I need in Him. Because His purpose and His intentions for us is to love Him and to love others. And so we live with our eyes open and up to see the needs of others. Our hands are unclenched and they're extended to others. Our hearts are willing and available to others. Humility expresses that you care, that you love, that you're available. Humility asks, what can I do? How can I help? How can I serve? How can I make it better? Humility sometimes comes with the warm smile, sometimes with compassionate tears. Humility both fiercely protects and gently caresses. Humility sacrifices greatly, yet recognizes the boundaries of detriment. Humility cherishes brother and sisterhood, deeply values friendship, always wants to welcome others into the tribe. Humility is ever-growing in compassion, graciously engages in grief and lament, and is always, always, always hopeful that God is working to restore all things to his original intent. Humility is willing to relinquish control without shirking responsibility. And humility is one of the most powerful attributes of influencing the lives of other people. You remember, when you've come face to face with a humble person, you know you've been loved and cared for, even if just for a moment. Finally, in our text, we see that humility, it takes great faith, especially to live out humility moment by moment, day by day. And when great faith is lived out, God responds. Here's what Paul wrote. Therefore, God exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee, shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. As Jesus, the Son, humbled himself, God the Father lifted him up and exalted his name above all creation. Now, we don't hold lordship, do we? But the assurance of exaltation is still ours. Back to 1 Peter chapter, chapter 5, when Peter writes, humble yourselves Therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that he may lift you up at the proper time, casting all your cares on him, because he cares for you. So do you see there how choosing humility is an act of faith? Of trusting God with his level of exaltation, whatever that even means in our lives? Rather than living with the arrogance of pushing ourselves to the front of whatever we're pushing toward, choosing humility is letting God do that pushing for you. 
So now don't you see how Peter points out that all anxiety goes away along with the pride. Because in our humility, we're actually trusting God. The God who created us, the God who sustains us, the God who cares for us, and the God who equips and empowers us to work with him toward the restoration of all things to God's original intent. The other day, I read this story of of Brenda. And Brenda describes how she pulled her car out of the end of the the mechanized car wash and uh, pulled her car over and gets out and pulls out a towel and starts drying her car. When a man starts walking in her direction from down the block, a person that she concluded was really just a street bum. Here's what Brenda said. From the looks of him, he had no car, no home, no king clothes, no money. There are times when you feel generous, but there are other times when you just don't want to be bothered. This was one of those don't want to be bothered moments. I hope he doesn't ask me for money, I thought, and he didn't. Well, the man stooped down to sit on the curb and watches Brenda as she does her chore. And after a few moments, he said to Brenda, that sure is a pretty car, to which Brenda mechanically replied, well, thanks. And she continued drawing. While the man watched Brenda complete her chore, Brenda rather culpably asked, do you need any help? Then here's what she wrote. He answered in three simple words, profound words that I won't forget. I expected nothing but an outstretched, grimy hand. He spoke the three words that shook me. Don't we all? I was feeling high and mighty, successful and important, above a bum on the street, until those three words hit me like a 12-gauge shotgun. Don't we all? I needed help. Maybe not for bus fare or a place to sleep, but I needed help. And then Brenda concluded with these words. We often look for wisdom from great men and women. We expect it from those of higher learning and accomplishments. No matter how much you have, no matter how much you've accomplished, you need help too. Brenda's story reminds me why it's significant that we follow in the example of Christ and that each of us live, choose to live humble lives. We all need help. We all need a break. We all need grace, both God's grace and grace from one another. It's a good reminder, the famous phrase Plato, I think, we're all fighting a great battle. And it sure is helpful when it's the followers of Jesus that take the lead in sharing like-minded with Jesus. A mindset of, let's do this together. Let's follow in the footsteps of Jesus together so that we can experience God's very best for our lives. Would you pray with me? And so it is, Lord, that we just gaze on your beauty again. We're astounded by you. That you, Jesus, God, chose to to become one of us, a bane human. You lived as we lived, you walked as we walked, and you said, come, follow me, let me show you the plan of the Father in the first place. You died a death that was somehow for us, 
and you conquered that death so that somehow we might live with you forever. And here we are as we follow you. And one of the qualities you call us to live is like you, living in humility. And so as we come before your table again this morning, Lord, speak to us about the baneness of the bread and the juice, that somehow that's you. And we would ingest you in our lives as we follow in your footsteps, O Jesus, for your glory. Amen.